We've got female guides on the lower parts, but we've had some that go up the top. But they don't stay a real long time. The Muzungu steal them. <laughs> they say, oh, this is the woman I want. She even climbs the Ruinsuri Mountains. Welcome to See Africa, Breathe Africa, a weekly podcast made to bring Rwanda, Uganda, and the DR Congo closer to you. It's moderated by a travel consultant and cultural tourism expert, Miha Logar, and an Afrofusion musician, Joe Kahiri. In this episode, they're accompanied by Gorilla Highlands experts calling in from three African countries who all silently listen to the stories shared by our guest in awe. See Africa, breathe Africa. John Hunwick does not seem 73. He seems like the vigorous biker and hiker that he is. This legendary Aussie has been part and parcel of the Gorilla Highlands travel industry since 1993, when he opened Uganda's first backpacker hostel. He tracked mountain gorillas in Rwanda when it cost only $11 and hiked into Uganda across the Virunga volcanoes, finding a safe passage. He was the first person in our region to learn about the tragic 1999 incident in Windy Impenetrable National Park and immediately rushed there to try and save lives. You'll surely wonder about him if you read the details about his adventures in our show notes. But for the last decade or so, we haven't heard much from John. He has been too busy building hiking trails in Renzori Mountains National Park. This astonishing mountain range that was already famous among the old Greeks towers between Uganda and Democratic Republic of Congo. Its top altitude is 5,109 meters or 16,762 feet. And between its many vegetation zones, there's so much variety that it's been designated by UNESCO as a World Heritage Site. Now let Kahiri's guitar take you there. We're going to take a trip to the mountains of the moon Where the snow falls all year long Ruins are Ruenzori, seated on two countries, Renzori, oh, Renzori, Renzori, towers up the, the Savannah, Renzori. We're going to meet a man, a very colorful man, a soldier, an investor, and many things more. We're going to meet John. An interesting man who stubbornly invests in making this a trekking destination. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the time we'll go to see Africa, breathe Africa, see Africa, yeah. See Africa. That's a new style. Bravo. <laughs> I thought I'd switch it up a little bit for today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, here we are on another trip deep into the heart of Africa. And today we are going to be talking about the Ruenzoris. And we have a very interesting guest in our midst today. Um, but I will leave that to my co-host, Miha. It's a big pleasure for me to have John Hanwick with us it's a wonderful opportunity to speak about what is happening in the Ruvenzoris, but the push 
to reach out to John this week was a recent article in The Guardian talking about Uganda's intervention in the Congo. So I said to myself, why not ask John, who is there on the border all the time, what the real life looks like and how safe or not safe we are. John, welcome to our show. Thank you, Mikhail. Now, let us go to the questions that actually started it all. What do you see right there in the center of it all? In the 11 years we've been there, we've not had any problems. For starters, the rebels on the Congo side, they're not going to come up where it's cold. They don't have the proper clothing. They don't, and it's steep. And they're going to do what when they get up there? They're going to look at the stars. There's nothing up there for them. I don't see any possibility of any attack into Uganda at all. Our soldiers, the UPDF, is doing a very, very good job. We sometimes see them up in the mountain patrolling. And, uh, you know, people don't, in the West, they don't really understand Africa. They don't really understand that Beni is a very long way from where we're operating. All right, our beloved listeners, let's bring you up to speed geographically and historically so that John doesn't lament your ignorance. Beni is a Congolese city on the other side of the Renzoris, some 140 kilometers or 90 miles away from Uganda's Kaseze town, the National Park Gateway. Beni has long been known for instability. Among the many rebel groups operating in this eastern Congolese area, there's a sinister Islamic group that originates from Uganda, the so-called Allied Democratic Forces, or the ADF. In late 2021, Uganda sent its military into DR Congo with the intention of dealing with ADF. This is not the first time Uganda's People's Defense Forces, abbreviated UPDF, have been involved in Congo. 20 years ago, Ugandans went in to support another rebel group. They fought Rwandan soldiers who were also in Congo. They looted natural resources and stole many women's hearts. Their reputation is anything but stellar. And even though the people of the Democratic Republic of Congo may look at the Ugandan military with suspicion, they'll be very grateful if the ADF is destroyed. The Islamists have been stealing kids from Congolese mothers to make them child soldiers and destroying their villages. After pushing them out of Uganda in the early 2000s, the UPDF now wants to deal them the final blow on Congolese soil. Last time Uganda intervened, there was quite a big issue with looting some of the resources that Congo has in abundance. Is it going to be different this time, you think? Do you think that because they are working with the government, it's going to be a little bit more under control? It's not only a little bit more under control, it is under control. And mind you, back then, things were rather hatch-patch. So you don't see any negative effects of Uganda doing some military things in Congo? Absolutely not. I think it's beneficial because it's going to bring peace to the eastern Congo, which is going to give a lot more security here. The other thing is the Ugandan government has announced a few months ago they're going to put a tarmac road from the border all the way up to Beni and then from Beni down to Botembo. And this is going to open up a lot of trade. You know Congo is going to be part of East Africa very soon. And all this trade is going to bring jobs. And when people have got jobs, they don't want to join rebel groups. They want to have their peace. They want to build a house. They want to have a happy marriage. They want to buy cars. And I believe the the, the days of the rebel groups are numbered because they're just a nuisance and they're anti-developmental. We need development. Do you see investors already scouting around? Uh, I mean, it sounds like oh, yes. a, a major development area. About a month ago, 
one of the big Kenyan tycoons, got together, I believe, 37 Kenyan businessmen. They flew into Batembo to have meetings and see what possibilities there is for trade between Kenya and Congo. Now, that's Kenya. We've got Uganda in the middle. Uganda needs to open up its eyes and see the potential too and get in there and also put its footprint on the ground and start doing trade. Build all the warehouses and the shops and everything there. You'll get hotels, you'll get shopping centres, you'll get hospitals that will get built. I see Kasesi town as being a trading hub. The town that you're talking about, John, lies just between mm. Queen Elizabeth National Park and the Ruwenzoris. And at least the last time I was there, it looked like a dusty, forgotten hole. You're sure that this is going to be a metropolis one day? Kasesi today is pretty well, except for a couple of buildings, is the same as it was back in 1991. But with this thing of opening up Congo as part of the East Africa Corporation, trade is going to boom. Within the next 12 months, people will start doing the trading from there. And even now, as I talk, these last few years, there's been tarmac roads put have been put around the town. It's not as dusty as it used to be. Uganda Wildlife is gearing up and put in the gate so people can do birding tours just a couple of kilometers from Kasesi town. Let's take the thing to the Ruwenzoris. First of all, you needed a long time before you were actually allowed to start developing trekking routes in the mountains, right? <laughs> I first applied in 1996 and then again back in 2007 or something like that and they called for tenders. I happened to win it. So uh, there was nothing there. There was no trouble. We had to make all new trails. We had to explore the trails. I employed some of the poachers who knew the mountain very, very well. They'd been poaching up there all their life. And we, we, we spent quite some months uh, zigzagging backwards and forwards to try and find the, the better way to go. So apart from the challenge of climbing the mountain, what kind of stuff do people do for fun? Is it all about the trekking and the view up on the top of the mountain? Or is there like most activities and stuff that people can do. The forests are beautiful. We've got 327 species of birds and my guides are very good in identifying the birds and people are really getting hooked on that. And after they do a three-day trek, we're getting people coming back and doing a longer trek. Could you give us an overview of what can one do with you in the Ruwenzori Mountains? Well, we get some people that go for 15 days. They want to do several peaks. But a lot of people do four peaks within 10 days. We got one day treks, two day treks, three day treks. And even now, there's still a lot of unexplored stuff up there. In 2009, I was up there with a ranger and we stood up on top of this valley, on top of this very steep section. And I said, let's follow the river down. He said, no, you can't go down there. It's too steep. But during COVID, I went exploring and I was, I've got a drone. So I flew and I went back up to that valley and there's fantastic waterfalls. There's a whole series of about eight waterfalls. And we found where we could put a trail. Do, do you also do uh, Margarita and other main peaks? Well, we don't do all the main peaks. We do Margarita, we do Albert, we do Gessie, we do Mount Baker. The five-day trek does Weissman's Peak, where you can stand on top and you see all the main peaks with the glaciers on top. Unfortunately, the glaciers are, are melting. These last three years, we've had exceptionally heavy snowfalls, and many people say, oh, the snow, that's good, it's going to save the glaciers. I'm sorry, it's making the glaciers melt faster. Because when the snow melts, there's a high volume of water which runs down the cracks of the glaciers and scoops out all the ice underneath. Do you see domestic tourism as a thing that might save the tourism industry? I'm very aware of Kenyans travel around their own country a lot. 
And yes, here for a long time, Ugandans have not been doing that, but they're starting to do it. You go down to Queen Elizabeth, you see Ugandans in there enjoying game drives, which wasn't happening even 10 years ago. Do you know that they've just made it law now in Canada that a doctor can write a prescription for you to go into a national park for a week or two weeks as part of your medical getting back healthy again. And I see tourism in Africa, it's going to boom because people want to get out. They want to see. They don't want to be in the cities anymore. That's very evident in uh, America. You look up the statistics for Yellowstone National Park. They've never had so many visitors. Everybody is going into the national park. Now they're doing that now, but next year they're going to be looking to travel to other countries. You've also invested a small fortune. What drives you? Because you're never going to see any profits from the money that you have invested. I just think it's something fun to do. But also I'm very aware it's creating a lot of employment. I've got about 34 guides. And during the construction stage, we had 650 people working for us. So when you consider how many people that's helped, that's probably about 5,000 people that are benefiting from our project. We've also added classrooms on some of the schools around so the kids get better education and they, then they can get a job in the tourism. And I'm not worried if I don't get the money back. I'm enjoying. You can't take money to the grave with you. What are they going to do? Stack it all around you in the coffin. It'll just make the coffin heavy. It's just good to see. And it's good to see tourists coming in and really enjoying the mountain. And by the tourists coming, they're saving the wildlife. Because when there's tourists there, it means there's activity and means the poachers can't operate. Tourism becomes a tool for conservation. If somebody wanted to come and invest, is there like the hot spot right now that you'd say this is definitely where you should go? There's some hot spots along the road to Bawera, overlooking Queen Elizabeth. And then when you go down to Katri village and you cross the river, you could negotiate with the community and build a, a four-star hotel with a conservatory because it protects the western flank of Queen Elizabeth. You'd set up a compensation plan that if one of the Ancoli cows is killed by a lion, you compensate because you're going to get the money out of the tourists. When you first came to Kampala in 1990, there were gunshots fired and you had your tent penetrated by a bullet and all, and all other details our audience can read in, in the exciting story in the show notes. So when you contrast that and the present that you're currently living, how has this series of decades been for you? Like, what have you observed? Are we really on the way to peace and prosperity or do you still see hiccups on the way? Well, there'll always be hiccups, but definitely we're going a long way. You know, when I when we first come here back in the 90s, the police were rather ragtag. Now they're becoming professional. The police force has changed. The military has changed. The system has changed. People say the institutions don't work. It takes time for institutions to change, whether it's here, Australia or America or wherever. But here they are changing. They are becoming more positive and more developmental. And yes, there's some negative patches, but generally it's coming up. And But we've also got a lot of naysayers, negative people who just want to make trouble. They think that they know best. Nobody knows best. Government makes mistakes. Whether they're the Australian government or whether they're the Ugandan government or whether they're British government. But slowly by slowly, they also learn and become better. And, you know, we've come from a war back in 1986 and we hadn't had development from when they got we got independence. 
Uganda was going down the plug hole. But since then, and it took 10 years before the country started some benefits. And of course, peace and stability is the main increment for development. If you don't have peace and stability, you're not going to get development. And it's getting to a stage where I see we're really going to push ahead at a much faster rate than we have been in the past. Thanks, John. I still cannot figure out your sense of adventure, but I definitely appreciate the fact that you've been here because you're a positive force. I would like to leave you with a song written by a friend of mine, adapted from a traditional song, and it talks about the time there was no water in the land and the little bird said, I'm going to find water. So from us here at Sea Africa, Breathe Africa, cheers till next time. show. Follow us on Apple Podcasts by pressing the plus button at the top. Or on Spotify, you should simply tap follow under the podcast title. We record with a live Zoom audience every Tuesday and publish the episodes by the weekend.